I, uh, I think I'd like to talk about the sovereignty of God today, something that uh, I feel woefully inept at really addressing. I feel like it probably uh, warrants a, uh, a series by someone far more erudite in the, uh, the faith than me, but uh, we're just going to look at some scriptures about it, and if anyone has anything to add or would like to chime in, by all means, um, do so. We'll start in Colossians chapter 1. This is something that uh, David was kind of moved to reference when you started going through Matthew in chapter 1, how it was comforting you in the midst of a bunch of uncertainty and turmoil that um, nothing escapes God's notice, that nothing is surprising him, nothing is thwarting what he ultimately wills to accomplish. And I think even more than that, not only does nothing thwart it, but he literally has seen it all and is using every piece to orchestrate it exactly as he wills, which, you know, I heard David referencing in Matthew 1, I guess that was weeks weeks ago now, but uh, I found a little bit of solace in it, but I think I was still a little bit wrapped up in some turmoil of my own and I was like yeah yeah but still like <laughs> this is very concerning you don't understand David you can quit worrying about it if you want because God sees all but like this is still bothering me but it's an ultimate ultimately uh, a fundamental if not the most fundamental tenet of the faith is to have faith and believe is the only way that we're saved. It's the only way that God can be pleased, it says in Hebrew, is that you have to believe that God is. So you have to believe that who he says that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. I find myself coming back to that concept over and over and over to anchor me is that I know that he is good because there's a lot of things that happen to us that the devil will use to make you question if he is good, like if he really cares about you. There's a lot of stuff that we can either cling to the faith and hope that everything that he says that is true, that in the end it will all be set right, that there really is a glory laid up that is far surpassing the pain that exists now. Or we can let the things that happen that, that cause us to question make us angry, the things that hurt cause us to you know, like you see many popular smart atheists turn to is that they're, they're actually angry at God. Yeah. It's not that they, they really disbelieve that he exists. I think they're smart enough to know crystals with aliens aren't more plausible than, than a creator. I think that they know that things don't come into existence of their own. If you listen to them long enough, they're angry. So we either let the things that happen that causes pain and uncertainty we let them cause us to question everything as if there is just blind chance like nothing matters something's just going to happen nothing's directing anything you might as well just go and snatch as much pleasure as you can 
you, you believe that, or you believe that there's some higher power that doesn't really have power or doesn't really care and is just kind of like set it all loose and then why even why would you even want to believe that like I mean that's just as bleak almost as as if there is no God or you believe in the God that says he has control of everything he says that he is good he says that he is using the things that don't feel good to accomplish a good purpose in us and we cling to that and we trust that like a hope that is unseen you know because it says that he who he who hopes for what he sees I mean it's not hope at all like you, you only hope for what you don't see and it's kind of what I want to look at today starting in Colossians chapter 1 chapter 1 and verse 16 says for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's so easy to forget that when we get up in the morning and we get out of bed and you, know, you walk to get your first glass of water or whatever your routine is that we didn't have the power to open our eyes that it's in our creator that all things are held together that it's his power that keeps it all existing and so I think about this or I try to when I feel like questioning him because something is too painful for me to wrap my mind around but that if I question him, I'm questioning the one that's holding it all together. And so, of course, I don't understand because I'm not God. And if I could understand it all, then where would the faith be? Where would, where would this opportunity that we have, I mean, what good would it be to, to completely waste every moment where we don't understand? It's, it's the only time in eternity that we get, it's a short period of time right now, that we get to bless him by trusting him without sight. Because we just don't get to understand everything the way he does right now and we have to become comfortable with that. We have to become okay with the fact that some things just won't make sense to us this side of eternity because, well, we'll wait on that. Ephesians chapter one, that ultimately in verse 11, it says, We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. You know what? I think that either we often don't believe that or we often don't think about it or remember it. That he literally works all things together after the counsel of his will. Like he says when... He speaks to Job and like it says in Isaiah that like, who, who's questioning me? Like I'm the one that has set it all together. I haven't taken counsel from anyone about how I measured the heavens and I stretched out my hands and I set the boundaries for the waters and then caused the stars to, to shine when it's time for them to shine. That he's the one that is sovereign over it all that causes it all to work together 
to accomplish exactly what he wants. You know, and we see that more easily watching, you know, outside the picture of Job's life where Satan himself is just coming before the Lord because the Lord summoned him, I'm sure. I doubt that Satan chooses to just wander through heaven, you know, I don't know. Um, but it's God who brings up Job. It's God who says, have you noticed him? He brings his attention to him and then freely allows Satan to do almost anything he wants to cause Job pain. Like God is actually behind that, you know, and that kind of boggles your imagination to some extent because, I mean, who wants to, to let someone that they love hurt and suffer? But I'm reminded of the fact fairly often, especially when I'm hurting, is that the things that I want for myself often likely don't line up with God's plan for me. Because if I got to choose what I wanted, it would be a lot of happiness and comfort. <laughs> it would. I wouldn't pick. I think the only pain I would pick in my life is probably working out because I find some type of enjoyment in that. But again, it's something I enjoy. Like I would pick things that make me happy and comfortable and I would probably be a miserable, wretched person in the end, honestly, because I think about the amount of things that I take for granted when I feel like questioning the Lord about something I don't understand, something that makes me cry out. And I realize in those moments when you kind of get to the end of praying through your complaints, you know, like they, you see in the Psalms so often, is that it could be worse, the things that I'm... I'm complaining about they could be worse. I look at other people in the world and the things that people I see that I respect that aren't complaining about something that's would cause me far more complaint, you know, and I think that kind of lost my train of thought. I actually had before something to add on the the joke especially because I actually had been thinking about that particular thing this week and I remember when uh, Job restored, I said Job restored uh, his his, uh, blessing back to him after he prayed for his friends. And it's interesting because it, it, it says that, you know, everyone then came to comfort him and they were bringing him gifts and they were bringing him money and, and things and it said that they comforted him for the evil that the Lord had brought on him. And it's just an interesting Well and phrase. Job says he's visited calamity upon you. Yeah. And and uh, I I kinda put that with the story of Joseph because if you're thinking about like someone being put in a situation that seems horrible and it is horrible but it is uh, what it, what it, for a bunch of different reasons that we don't know, it was the way that God was using it. Uh, it, was, it was what God was using to uh, preserve life. And that's what he says, because he said, you meant it for evil. We were going to look at that today. You know, and of course we should. <laughs> but <laughs> I just had thought of that in connection with just this statement. It's like they consoled him, comforted him for the evil that the Lord had brought. And I thought of Romans where it says he's able to make all things work together so I think it, it's not a concept of 
that we're able to grasp uh, in our minds without the help of the Holy Spirit. That's but the, it is possible. That's the thing is that evil is happening. And that's it's kind of what I was getting at is that... Well, like the existence of the devil, period. It's like, why, did, why does God allow him to exist? Because he doesn't have to. Like we can't see, we can't see the full, we can't see the full scope of it, because you know obviously God didn't author evil, but He does freely allow it to work. It's like with Joseph. It was something that struck me this week is that it's real jealousy his brothers have, it's real hatred that they want to kill him. You know everything that he goes through, like it's real evil that people are enslaving people and buying them, and then throwing them into prison unjustly, like all of these things that are happening to Joseph are not, they're not, Trivial. yeah, I mean, they're, they're significant evil events that happen to him that God is fully in control of and fully allowing. So for him to, at the end of all of that, get to say, you did mean it for evil, yeah. but I know that God sent me here to prepare yeah. a way to save life. And that ultimately his purpose is to conform each one of us into the image of his son. And Jesus was sent through a bunch of evil to save life. And if we're conformed into his image, it would be absurd to think that it happens any other way than it did for him. Like you're going to experience difficult things. To be, that's what I was getting at earlier, I think was my train of thought, was the things that I would set up for me would make me happy and ultimately probably wicked because how easily we forget everything that's good. How easily we forget God when the sun is shining and you're having a great time and you don't feel like you need him all that much, but you remember when things are difficult where our faith must cling to, like where our hope lies, that, that it's him that prevents anything like when things are good, it's him that is prospering you, you know, like so who who amongst us could be proud and things going well? Like you didn't you didn't cause it to happen. You, did, you didn't give this. But then when things are going badly, when you're anxious, you know, that we don't have to be afraid. I think that's kind of what David was getting at in Matthew 1 is that it's okay when things seem like they're spinning out of control and you're overwhelmed because God's not. Like he sees it and he knows and either we believe that he does and that he's powerful at over, over it all or we're really not believing in him. We're believing in a different worldview that honestly I don't care <laughs> to believe in. Moving from Ephesians to Psalm 31. Begin in verse 9. It says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, and my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing, and my strength has failed because of my iniquity. And my body has wasted away, because of all my adversaries I have become a reproach. And I think the way to get these things to sink in to me is... I'm pretty pretty bad at disconnecting from <laughs> from things I hear that that don't relate to me personally. And so when I read this, 
the only way this really resonates with me is if I picture whatever it is in my life that makes me cry out like there must be an end or I won't make it that makes me cry out I don't understand this I don't know how this could be good I don't see how this could accomplish anything but misery and it seems meaningless and just painful for the sake of pain so like I have to think about what makes me feel that when I read someone expressing the same thing because of all my adversaries I have become a reproach especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances those who see me in the street flee from me I am forgotten as a dead man out of my mind I am like a broken vessel for I have heard the slander of many and terror is on every side and while they took counsel together against me they schemed to take away my life but as for me I trust in you O Lord I say you are my God and my times are in your hand deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me I've decided I think I want this to be a life motto is that my times are in your hand that whatever is befalling us whether it's good or bad God has seen fit that it would happen to accomplish the best for us and you know you either rise up and cling to a faith like Job did where he says though he slay me I will hope in him that I believe that this life is not all that there is I believe that at the end even if this life were only filled with pain, that he's accomplishing something good through it, and then at the end, there is a glory that awaits. You know, you look to Jesus and the cross and what he was willing to endure because he knew where he came from and where he was going is what it says, I believe, in John. No, it's before that, 15. It's around the Passover. It's when he gets up to 13, 15, somewhere in there. But he knew where he came from, and he knew where he was returning. He believed that he would suffer and he would die, but that God would raise him again, that he would fulfill his word, and that there would be glory on the other side, that there is a joy set before him that made it all worth it. And so we cling to that, that our times are in his hands, that nothing befalls us, that escapes his notice. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 10, where, uh, you know, I'm just going to read it because I'll misquote it. Matthew 10 and verse 29 are not two sparrows sold for a cent and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father that literally I mean it says all things are held together by his power so he's cognizant and intimately acquainted with two little birds falling to the ground I mean you could probably stretch it to like he cares when this spider is crushed under your foot like he knows when every one of these things is happening but look at the like it says that I don't remember if it's in Romans or Hebrews where it talks about um, he didn't send his son for angels like to, to, re to redeem fallen angels I mean he knows that sparrows are falling to the ground and I mean he lets that happen all things to their purpose but for us like how would he not freely give us all things he gave Jesus like he's numbered the hairs on our head like we're that precious to our father
Like I know what it is to have a child that's very precious to me and I couldn't tell you even close. I haven't tried to count her hairs. Like I don't know that's that many. It's <laughs> <laughs> My head weighs 13 pounds. Okay. Um, I know that. I don't know how much hers weighs. I'd probably say five, five or six. But, um, but like that's how intimately acquainted he is with us. And so don't fear that we're more valuable to him than many sparrows. And if you think about how many times the word says, don't be anxious, don't fear, over and over and over again. Like he knows that we're prone to being afraid for what we don't understand, to being afraid for what we see, what we think we see coming. You know, I think the stats show that like 97% of the things that we worry about never even happen. So it's kind of ridiculous, but he knows that that's in us to, he knows that we don't see. He knows that we don't see the things that he does ahead in our life and what we'll need to get through the next part or what we need to keep us humble to make it to the end so we're not arrogant and cast out of his sight. Like, it's something that's resounded with me recently in pain is that, you know what? I think I would be, I already see too much pride. Like, if not for pain, I don't know how arrogant I would be that, and I wouldn't want it. Like, I wouldn't want to, to think that I don't, need the Lord. I would rather take the pain and know that I need him than to have everything work out just groovy and and forget that I need him. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 45. I think it's in the beginning of 45 where the Lord is talking about how he used not like a godly king, not someone that uh, you know was leader of his people, but he used Cyrus of Persia to just deftly accomplish exactly what it was that he willed. And then in verse 4, God says, For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name I have given you a title of honor though you have not known me I am the Lord and there is no other besides me there is no God I will gird you though you have not known me that men may know from the rising to the setting of the Sun that there is no one besides me I am the Lord and there is no other I am the one forming light and creating darkness causing well-being and creating calamity. Like God says of himself that he creates calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Drip down, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds pour down righteousness. Let the earth open up and salvation bear fruit, and righteousness spring up with it. I, the Lord, have created it. And woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth, Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands? You know, the Lord says this. He speaks of his power and his sovereignty. And he was like, how dare anyone question me? And yet I'm thankful that we see examples of he allows his people 
to complain and to cry and to have questions, and he doesn't strike him down for it. Like you see that he lets Job go on and on and on, making his case for how what's happening isn't right. And I mean, the Lord calls him up pretty short, you know. I mean, he's he's not exactly gentle the whole time. The way it reads, you know, when he says essentially these things to him, it's like, where were you when when things were created? Where were you when I did this? And who who gave me counsel? But he deals with Job in such a way so that Job would understand him deeper, so that he would know him in a deeper way. And obviously he takes pleasure in Job. I mean, look at the way he recorded him for us to look to and the way he he touted him before Satan himself. And all along the way, you know, even though Job is questioning that it must please the Lord that it says, you know, he does not curse God. He does not sin. He doesn't, I mean, he says things like, he can slay me, but I will trust him. Like that's where Job kind of comes back to through and through. And then at the end, Job says, I didn't know what I talked about. You know, he says, like, I didn't know of the things that I speak. I repent. I retreat before you. And he worships him. And then he's there to be probably a, a an image of like Jesus where he stands in and he, he intercedes for his friends that spoke so wrongly and restores them. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, to what are you giving birth? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his maker, ask me about the things to come concerning my sons and you shall commit to me the work of my hands. It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I ordained all their host. And I'll close in Romans chapter 8 and then open it up to if anyone else has anything to add. I think we forgot to give the dogs food and water. Not as sovereign as the Lord. <laughs> Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And some of the context that I won't take the time to read here is preceding this, is talking about we suffer with Christ so that we're glorified with Him. The sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared and how the creation itself groans, longing, longing for the redemption. Like that's the context here in verse 28. Like, I think I've always kind of read this or heard this verse kind of quoted in my head at least a little out of context and that, yeah, God causes good things to work together for your good. But that's literally not the context and that's not what it's saying. It says he causes all things to work together for good. And I think that when you're, you're moved to cling to this verse, it's not because something good has happened. It's because <laughs> something difficult is happening. He causes... Being put to death all day being considered sheep to be slaughtered. Right, like that's what he causes to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? It's for those whom he foreknew to be predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. 
And so what do we say when things are difficult and when they're painful, when we don't understand, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? This speaks to me so much more now because I was just telling Sarah this week that it seems like a whole lot that we used to hold is very solid, put a little too much confidence in, is just kind of crumbled all around where you just see, it's almost like you can count on hardly anything. In fact, I probably would go so far as to say that you cannot count on anything except for this, except for the love of God. Like everything that we think that we can count on is a lie. Like I'm kind of astounded, honestly, just to be um, frank, that I so easily believed that you can kind of have a perfect church. Not perfect, perfect, but like where, you know, we've, 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 we've got everything. Like, we, you know, we believe in the commandments and also in grace and also in worshiping in spirit. No one else does that. All of those things. Well, seriously, but now I'm like, I don't see an example of a church in the New Testament that, I mean, well, maybe Ephesians, we don't see any correction given to. Right, right. And so it's like, and so I look around now when everything falls apart and I'm like, you know, I, I don't really know what it looks like to have a church that that I really believe is kind of kind of got it together. I, I don't know anymore, but maybe it doesn't exist. Like maybe that was a ridiculous thing to try to count on is that there's something that's got it all together or... Taking this letter by itself, the Apostle Paul is a paragon of virtue. He's a huge hero, you know, certainly to me, I think probably to every Christian. And yet you see him looking at himself mm -hmm. just a few chapters prior and talking about how he can't put any confidence in himself. He yep. sees all this evil erupt from him, and he clearly says, I don't want it to happen. And then here's all this good, and I can see it. I can envision it, and yet I find myself failing the mark. You know, day by day, I draw a line, I try to hit it, and I fail to hit it. Well, so if yeah. that's true of him, in other words, right. uh, certainly it's true of any grouping of any Christians. But And then I look at the world, you know, and like... There's no shortage of people just like reeling over 2020 and what a ridiculous, terrible year it is. And I'm kind of tired of hearing it, honestly. But, you know, it makes me look at 2021 and if like it's Biden's taking office, I'm like, seems like it's going to be way worse than 2020 could have been, you know. And I look at, I'm putting a, a few more eggs in the basket of a full-time lawn care company. I'm like, what if there's a drought this summer? Then what, you know? And I'm just like, these are the things that will cross my mind that cause me temptation to anxiety and fear and I'm like you know what though I mean that's the way it's always been I mean like the farmer sows but who causes the ground to water and brings forth the crop like like David mentioned this week is like yeah things look pretty terrible in the country at the moment but it was worse when Paul was preaching it was worse for the first church you know it's like none of it like no one's coming up to power that God didn't see and he didn't allow that he's not working through so 
it's my aim and my ambition to be like, you know what? <laughs> what difference do any of those things make? Like God's got it all like he wants it. I'm going to focus on the things that he tells me to focus on and let him work out all of the details, Lord willing, with less and less anxiety. Well, just like on that point, there's the one scripture that I think about a lot when like you start racing with that stuff, like what about the future and what about this and what if this goes wrong and just the way Jesus said, like, take care of today. Sufficient is the evil for today. You know, it's, it doesn't mean you're completely blind about the future. That's not what he's saying. But you know how to uh, make that distinction where it's like, don't allow yourself to get carried away with that. Focus on doing the right thing right now. And you just make that your habit. And like you were saying, it has to start with believing that God's intentions are good. Amen. Because otherwise right. it is futility. It's like, well, what's the point right. to anything? It's like, it's meaningless. So if, if you do think that it's worthwhile, if you do think that it's worthy cause, you start with that, and then it's able to keep you from spinning out. Because you do have that uh, history with God where it's like, well, hasn't he always provided? Like, haven't I always been, you know, looked after? And, and can I see all these other examples? Isn't that enough for me to trust that even if things do all come apart, right. you know, it's like, well, well, they're going, it, they're going to know? at some point, right? It's like, <laughs> like, if I can't walk, I'll crawl. You know, it's like that type mentality. Well, what Michael is saying was exactly what's been ringing in my soul since you started was that opener in Ephesians from your message, which is about the kind intention. Like, you back it all the way up. God's intention from the beginning. Why even make stuff? Did he need something? Was he lacking in some way? Was he lonely? Right. It was just a gift. It's like, in himself, he is all things. And all, uh, it was to give, not to get, if you follow what I'm saying. He's self-sufficient. The, the reason he created the angels where evil started was for love. Let me give to something that I want to do. And he, it was a kind intention to share something like what he was, to share love. And see, deep angels. down, everyone wants to know that. Right. Like whether you believe or don't believe, everyone will ask in some form or fashion, why am I? Where am I from? Where am I going? Right. You know, it's like, that's the purpose. Right. But... Well, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, he could have just made pretty toys, couldn't he? He could have made very complicated beings that would never uh, cause him any pain. Disobey, <laughs> that would just carry out. Absolutely right. But what they couldn't have enjoyed was love, because that requires choice. Evil actually springs from a kind intention. That helps me understand it. Yeah. Now, emotionally, that's not very satisfying. But intellectually, it is helpful to understand that evil came about because God is loving and allowed angels to choose. Mm -hmm. And the second thing that I find helpful when I'm thinking through that, like we talk about evil, and you were talking about atheists. That's the first thing they point at. Oh, God's good, is he? Well, what about all this? Well, see, evil? that's the thing. Is like when in Isaiah 45, when he's like saying, who are you to question what I have done? It's like, wait a minute. You question that? Do you know what's right? And are you good? Obviously. Like, can you decide that 
this is evil yeah, yeah. and this is not? Like, well, so you're God. You be him then. Right. Like that's kind Which, of... If you want to try that experiment, uh, you will quickly learn, if God is merciful to you, that you are in no position to play God. I did that for two years. That's how long I lasted. And it took no longer than that to figure out I'm so much more of a tyrant than I was accusing him of being. And I didn't. I told him I had to be like Job. You know, I talked about things I didn't understand. I didn't understand. I was pointing at him saying, look, you saw the horrors that came to me? You could watch me undergo that sort of a thing, and you could just step back and let it happen, right? And I just couldn't... You can't make sense in the physical mind of that. You just can't. I was like, that's impossible. Not possible. But then he turned the mirror on me. Well, okay, I hear you're saying I'm a monster. I'm showing you what you behave like. Here's the pain that you visit on, on, on other people. Are you in a position really to call that? Oh, and by the way, this is what I put my son through so that I could save you out of that. And here's eternity that you would have no access to except that I allowed that. Does that change how you see it then? Are you willing to undergo a millisecond of difficulty for an eternity of joy and bliss? You know. Also, what what is it about here and now? You know, it's like where jo- Joseph says, you know, I know that he sent me to preserve life. And it's all of your pain and suffering. Like, it sucks for you, sure. right? Sure. But, like, what if beyond you, and this is not something that comes easily to me because I would be like, well, let's make it good for me. And like, you worry about other people some other way. But like, what if it preserves life for someone else? Like, what if it's Job and that's someone else that clings to your faith and your testimony and light of what you've gone through? I honestly believe, and I'm not saying this in a flippant way, Lord knows. There have been many times where it's not daily bread that I'm asking for. It's let me make one more tick. You know, because every temptation is just make it stop. And that's how it is. If it's sufficiently painful a situation, then you just want relief. That's what's going on. And it's difficult. Like you used to, I guess the hardest punch was when you're down and you're suffering like that. It's the idea of, oh, guess what? And you've got all day tomorrow and all day the next day to go. But I genuinely believe that this share in Christ's suffering is the degree to which you share in joy later. The joy. Literally this grouping. We came here because of suffering. Jesus' suffering. Job's suffering. How often has that been a lifeline to pull us through? Where we can't formulate a coherent thought. Our hearts are just stunned and confused and dizzy and disoriented and the biggest prayer we can pray is, Lord, help, mm-hmm. right? And we've all been there. And I'm sorry, but we'll probably all be there again. Like, this is just the process. But the pain is so temporary, and the joy is permanent. If you look at Jesus, there's no better example of suffering. Because he had everything. Like, when we suffer, we measure it against our best day. Our best day on a scale of 1 to 10, maybe a 5. I'm being generous. Maybe a 5. Jesus always lived as a 10. Like, he knew the choruses of angels. Like, when we fill our hearts, swell and burst in worship and praise and 
It's like, Lord, I can't even take it. It's so good. I, don't, I can't take one more thing. But he knows what the fullness of that is. And love without boundaries. And so for him to suffer the way that he did, that agony was greater. And yet in his life, we see how he turned that pain into joy and rejoicing. It's our hope every day. We always think, but there's Jesus stuff. And he is coming. Like, I think that a lot. What I was talking about, about the world and how dark it is and the weight and the pain of it. And sometimes it is hard. I have to limit how much news I watch. You know, when I go back and revisit some things, like I think about children that are being trafficked, that are being locked in basements and things of that sort. That's real. It's hard to bear. And then immediately, like I pray every day, but the Lord is coming. And he's going to bring this to an end. As soon as the last tear that needs to be shed is shed. And so, uh, sorry, all I meant to say when I opened my mouth was just that thank the Lord for the suffering. Because I believe it is directly connected to how much joy. And we want to be responsible for as many souls. I know in my life the pain that I've undergone, like I would never voluntarily go through it. I wouldn't. I could imagine it, but I'm not that noble. You know, it's easy now because I'm not that little kid anymore. But there's no way. And yet, it's the actual source of most of the good that I've been able to accomplish in my life. You know? So, in the sense of what Isaiah was saying about how he creates calamity, he's just saying, look, I made everything. I gave the power of choice to the angels. Some of the angels chose to use that choice to bring evil. Evil, by the way, by definition, is just less than God. Everything that's less than God is evil. It describes a lack. It's sort of as dark as to light, so, so is evil. But in a sense, dark doesn't really exist as an entity, and neither does evil. And in the same way, it's a blip on the radar of eternity. It's very temporary. You see, it was eternity before evil. There'll be eternity after evil. It will be swallowed up. It will be as if it never was forever. And so God permits it for a time to bring about forever. So, and again, whenever you're in the throes of that, I mean, when you're really deep, and I don't put Job or anybody else or David down for that because we're all like that. We, when you're pressed like that, you're going to ask questions, you're going to be angry, you're going to shed tears, you're going to beg for it to be over. Um, but I think in the fullness, I mean, I think in that moment, it's just going to be overwhelming. If anything, I think, and I know I say this, but again, I don't say it lightly, I think we will wish that we had had an opportunity to give more. You know? opportunities that I had and getting to spend time with him and, and just sit with him. And that, that summer was just a 
know, my my grandfather died and my great grandmother died and the hurricane happened and hit my grandmother's house and I that was the same thing Donald died and then upon me and I wanted to worship through it I wanted to fight it I knew that God was right in the end but I couldn't make sense of it myself and the more I read scripture the angrier I got and then there's the shame of the anger of knowing why would God want me to come into his presence when I'm angry at him and we're not taught how to be angry at God. We're not taught how to reconcile that when we know that we're wrong, but we're so hurt. And so I just, I think there's a time probably in every Christian's life when you have that existential question or when you have that hurt that's like a fork in the road. And so I just, I have that empathy in my heart for anyone that feels that because it's not that you have chosen to be angry or that you have chosen to be hurt. It's like I was hurt on my grandmother's behalf. I was so mad for her because it's like she lost her husband and her mother and possibly her house all within a month's time, you know, and she had lost her son. He took his own life in her home a year before that. Like... I was just like, how much can you allow happen to this poor, sweet old woman? So I just, I think that it's important that we keep that in mind when our brothers or sisters are angry at God or having these just difficult questions is that a lot of times it's not chosen and sometimes it is and sometimes we take that and like you said, you know, atheists are very m- many times angry at God or hurt or question his goodness. Um, but it is possible to know that God is good, to believe that he's sovereign, and also to be hurt and angry, you know, because we're not one-dimensional people. Right. And it's possible to hold those two things and just not know what to do with it but I also think it's important not to try to rush that process of it's okay thank you (laughs) it's okay to express that anger towards the Lord and to to give those emotions and feelings to him and I think that's part of it, just like when I'm angry at Matt, 
I let him know about it a lot. <laughs> I saw that more probably. Um, I think that's part of any healthy relationship. You're going to be hurt at times and you're going to... Um, Marriage is a good example because like, it's not healthy. a healthy relationship if you're going to bottle it up yeah. and just like shut it down and act like it doesn't exist because it's legitimate. Mm -hmm. Like I think we've all probably been angry at the Lord whether it's for a long season like that or for a week or a day and or it comes back around. I think that's the thing is like that we get patterned in the Psalms is that you, like you said, you can go to him with it mm -hmm. and tell him like I don't understand this and it makes me mad and I don't I've said it a bunch of times. I don't even want to worship right now. Yeah. Like, I know that I should. I know that there's supposed to be something good in that. I'll mm -hmm. put the music on, and I'm just like, I'm not feeling it. Like, I just, I can't make it happen. You know, it's like, I, I agree with the concept. Like, that would be good, but really, I'm mad. And so, that's how I feel. And I don't ever get past it without doing that. Yeah. Like, if I just kind of ignore oh, it for a while, I know. Like, it'll just get worse, and it'll get worse, right. and it'll get worse. It never does get better unless you you make it. You will make known. something fake if that's how you can yeah. Plus, I think, like you were saying, the pattern with, like, the prayers that we have, David's a good example because we have so many of them, is, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things in there that seem wrong to say. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying to express, well, like, like they God, say, do you not like, remember what you said? Do you, you don't have... Or it's like, oh, God, you're going to take care of these wicked people? You're going to let them exactly. have all this? Exactly. Like they do all these this horrible things, and, and they're blessed, and I'm trying to do the right thing, and all I see is just misery, and and it seems like that would be wrong. I remember you had made the statement that you felt moved to stop editing your prayers, and that was kind of a new uh, concept for me when you had said it. And I was like, yeah, there's been a lot of my prayers that I carefully edited because I didn't want to express, because I thought it's It it's feels wrong. disrespectful. But the crazy something. thing is, it's like, it takes a minute for you to understand, like, he already knows. Yeah. Yeah. He already knows. Like, so, you expressing it is, I mean, that is part of the, part of the process. And then you have the, it's like the scripture says, like, be angry, but don't sin, which tells you, it's like, being angry is not the sin. It's not a sin to be angry. We are kind of taught that, though. That is a good point, because we are kind of taught, like, it's 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 a sin to be angry. It's especially a sin to be angry at God. And David, for instance, like, what happened with the ark, he was scared and angry. He was scared, he was confused, and he was angry at God. And, you know, it's like, I'm sure he was thinking, like, I'm just trying to bring your presence here. Like, right. And this guy gets struck down and killed, and now I gotta, I gotta go to his family and tell them that that the Lord struck him down, which probably means they're gonna think, well, he's cursed forever, like all that kind of stuff is going through his head. So, yeah, I think that is part of any like, if you're gonna be any type of sincere, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest way well let's start with the personal thing so how do you remove this stigma from that because there's a lot of stuff that's stigmatized the first way is seeing the scripture because if you're looking at Job I mean if you're in the middle of that his everything fell apart around him if, and all he was was trying to do good and you hear the things that he says 
you immediately are my first response 30 years ago when I was reading through it for the first time was like, man, you can't, you can't talk to God like that. But notice what God had to say about him. If you're aware of that and you're aware of how David addressed him and you look at Jesus who's in the garden of Gethsemane and telling God, I don't want to do it. I don't like that seems wrong. Like you can't say that. And even he cried out on the cross, why have you forsaken me? Doesn't that just sound like a song? Well, in fact, it is one. Because that was written through David about Jesus a long time before. So you personally know that it's okay. In fact, God gives you exemplars and he says, this is a man after my own heart. By the way, here's the most prayers in the whole Bible. Why don't you pray like him? Then you don't, you don't feel as stigmatized by it. And if that's true then with other people, you don't stigmatize them about it. You know, you weep with somebody who's weeping. Mm -hmm. And you don't, I think, honestly, I can't remember who said it, but basically it's Christians that give Christ a bad name. There's so much fake Christianity where you're supposed to have this, like this fake shell where everything's always happy and great. And no, we don't say negative things about anything. All of that is what makes you feel like, you're wrong forever saying, I hurt, I'm confused, I don't understand. Well, it's frustrating when someone won't let you say it. Like, I've told that to David before. I was like, I've been around people where it's like, stop telling me. Oh, no, no, yeah, but, but, but like, we overwhelmingly conquer. Like, all things are good. I was like, you don't understand. You're not even letting me finish the sentence that things really suck right now. Like, it's got to be okay to say that. Like, you have to let somebody say, this is how I feel. Does it mean... I hate God. <laughs> yeah. Necessarily. Well, it, it goes back to a marriage being like the relationship between you and God. If, if you think with each other, it's, it's, it's not marriage. Yeah, you can keep the peace, but it's not really, you, you have no intimacy. You don't even know each other. At that right. point, right? So and God already knows you. In a way, it's yourself that you're deceiving when you decide that that's how it has to be. But I've certainly been guilty. I learned a lot. i tell you one of the things that was pivotal for me in that was watching Jesus after Lazarus had died. Like the first time that I read, and I know y'all are familiar with it, but, you know, Jesus loved that family, especially, like he hung out there and they were close, spent a lot of time with him. They came and they said, hey, Lazarus is very, very sick. And then it says, so he waited. And that just seems wrong. You know, it seemed wrong to Martha and Mary too. But it was because he knew what he was going to do. He already knew, like he'd been waiting for this moment. And he knew when he publicly raised him, he knew that meant that the cross was next. So he was aware and when he showed up, of course, they were asking the questions, and I'm sure it was hard for him. You know, don't you care? You could have stopped this from happening. Questions like we have. But he didn't say, don't, oh, don't cry, that's stupid. I came here to raise him. Don't you even know me? Like how he was, he wept. And I think that he does that with us, you know. Like, I know I'm a child. I understand like a child. I don't understand everything that's going on. It's too big for me. And I do get overwrought. And my emotions do go up and down. And I wish they didn't, but that's how I am. 
and I can't work my way out of it. It's always going to be that way. Uh, but he'll cry with me and hold and comfort me and see me through to the next moment when things are clearer, you know, and then reassure and strengthen me and we walk on together. And if that's my experience of the Lord, then that's going to be the experience of other of the Lord in me that other people will have. Does that make sense? I think there, I, I don't know who said this either, but it said something like, uh, the Christian army is the only army that shoots its wounded. Mm. And I, I'm afraid that we've all been guilty of that sometimes. But it's not, it's not how the Lord deals with us. Um, I think of what it said about Jesus, you know, smoking flax he would not quench. Like if there's just an ember, you know, you're very, very gentle with that. Or like the parable where the tree's not bearing fruit. And the Lord said, well, just give me a little time. Let me work on it, you know. I heard an interview on the radio of the one of the members of 10th Avenue North or whatever that band is that yeah. wrote, um, I'm Tired, I'm Worn. And he was talking about his process of writing that song. And... Um, Something that he said has stuck with me ever since then, and it was that uh, what helped him the most, you know, wasn't his friends trying to fix things for him or, you know, it wasn't being fixed. It was friends being willing, like in Job, friends being willing to sit in ashes with you. You know, it's that whatever state that your heart is in right now, can't fix it but I can sit with you in ashes and it's true I mean how many of us I mean sometimes the Lord gives us a word for each other but a lot of times it's knowing that you've got a brother or sister next to you helping carry the load that can just sit with you in ashes and I think that's part of like what you were talking about is like destigmatizing those emotions that we feel towards God, especially in, you know, crazy times when things that we thought that we had that were permanent are just dissolving into thin air. Of talking about it and letting it be known, not trying to rush in to fix each other, but praying for each other and lifting one another up, um, and just being with each other. You to know? some degree, that's exactly what Jesus did, was come that's to right. sit in the ashes. Like, yep. he came and as a merciful high priest to experience all of those emotions and to be yeah. here in it so that he can always be with us in it as we go. Like, he knows what it feels like. Well, that's interesting. Also, in the, the uh, instruction to weep with those who weep, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's not like your job is to convince them that they shouldn't weep. <laughs> well, it's like it says, there's a time to mourn. There's a time to rejoice. There's a time to sit around and be depressed, basically. Yes. Like it says that those evolutions exist. Like it doesn't say, always be happy and make a positive spin about it. Always fix it. Because sometimes you can't fix it. 
lot of times you it's just can't. just not real there's man. nothing to it's not real like i thought that was the way to be and i was kind of raised where you were not allowed to well this will definitely be familiar to some of you you weren't allowed to to have a different line than the party line like i could not have an opinion or a thought that was different from my uncle's that wasn't permitted it was just however he said it was and if now is a moment to be happy like that's how you had to be but the thing I is relate to that, <laughs> well let me just describe the scenario what was it like well so here's the thing he didn't know me can you pause that for just a second yep. i think that's probably since you brought it up i wasn't going to something to like edit in your prayers you were taught like you can't raise a question Right. You can't raise something that is dissenting to like the way that it's supposed to be right now, huh? Authority. Yeah, it's like so. Don't come with some prayer that questions. <laughs> that questions was like, um, going on. one of the things that David prayed was like, "My soul is distressed within me." Mm -hmm. You know, like that's deep. It's like I'm, I'm like inside. I'm all like messed up. Yeah. And you know that that is. Uh, that's absolutely the opposite of what you are saying. You know, you, 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 uh, being able to acknowledge uh, is the honesty that God is looking for. You know what I mean? And I, not necessarily that it makes it easy, but but it it is. I think it's the only way. It doesn't make it easy, but there is a night and day difference between grieving without hope and grieving with hope. You know, it's the difference between it sucks right now, but Jesus is coming. You know, He's faithful every time, and. Going back to the marriage example, is some of your greatest times of growth as a couple are when you're when you have the opportunity to say the things that are uncomfortable to say or to talk about the issues that aren't totally harmonious between the two of you and there's tears in the moment and it's difficult and it's that pain that you kind of want to avoid and you'd rather just sweep that under the rug but if you deal with that like a wound it will heal and then you're stronger afterwards and if you know that in the moment, then there's hope, you know, then you don't, you don't dread that conversation or something because you know it's going to be better on the other side. I think it's kind of like that. So it's like, you know, how many shoes your spouse may or may not have. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a trip to my closet because I'm <laughs> added to the Sarah's in a very healthy place. Having an issue right now. 
Every once in a while, he turns into a teenager. Oh, uh, so he you were saying we are relationship is strengthened. But you know, God, God loves us at the end of the day, and so having those conversations and those difficult emotions and things, and knowing that there's still love through that, is that ultimately strengthens that. And there's a same understanding. You know them better, and they know you better. Yeah. That's right. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, you can be fake, and you can have the appearance of peace. It won't last. It never does. It will keep you separated. But I don't think you know God, but you go through a valley with him. I know I certainly didn't. Like, I had, what did Job himself say? Yeah, I had heard about you through the hearing of the ear. That's one thing. Like, I've heard of George Washington, you know? But I don't know him. But after the suffering, like when you've walked together through hell and you are known fully, just as you said, and you haven't been abandoned and you have been comforted and strengthened on the other side, then it's like he said, like scales have fallen from my eyes. Now I, I know you face to face. One thing that I did think of um, when you were saying that, uh, like kind of coming to a better understanding was the prodigal son story. Which is interesting because a big focus is on the son that, that leaves, obviously. But the son that had stayed, that was faithful, he was mad. He was upset. And he was like, you know, I, I can't even be a part of this. And the way that his father dealt with him, though, to me, it means a whole lot. Because he doesn't say, like, how dare you, you know act like this and your brother's back and you you're out here you know thinking about yourself he tells him he's like everything i have is yours like i i intend to bless you with everything but we had to be happy because we thought he was dead and it's not anything to to slight you that's, that's not the, that's what he was thinking though because you, you but he didn't respond to him like that with like seeing the anger that right. his brother had and being like how dare you you know like and we would think that's how God would react to us. But that's only really with pride is he ever like that. If you're proud, then he's going to resist you. Like well, it, so you it hear a lot rough. of focus about the son that leaves. And then I've heard focus on the son that stays and how messed up he was. Yeah, like how dare he? But I haven't, you don't hear that very much. It's like, but God well, said, he got like, to say, like, I've been faithful. Yeah. I'm upset. And he doesn't get thrown out because of it. No. He gets reassured. He's told, like, you're going to be the one to lead the family. Like, your, your brother, That's a good point. he forfeited his birthright. Because we automatically tend to criticize him. Yeah. It's like, well, how dare you have such an unholy attitude? Like, your brother's back. But that's not what his father did. Not really. No. But, yeah, we have a lot of learning to do with how God actually thinks about us and wants to respond to us and there's not we're not in a hurry no it takes the time I'm convinced it couldn't be done in a short way otherwise we would just be born make a decision and then you would die there's a reason that there are life spans you know and if Jesus had to live 30 years and then suffer the way that he did in his public ministry for three and a half years to learn obedience through the things that he suffered and he had no sin there's nothing to correct with him 
right? So it should not shock us if we need roughly double that, being that we're not nearly half as good as he, you know. I like less than half of you, half as well as you deserve. <laughs> it's like the Lord of the Rings. That's right. I'm trying to meditate on scripture here. I don't have time to think about that. This is only funny because I literally shot him a video. Well, you just said half as good as he when he doubled the time. So oh, no, well, that's right. <laughs> I literally sent him a video explaining that because we had had that discussion in the truck. Is it an this insult or a week. compliment? I think it's a compliment. It's what is it? It's, when Bilbo, when Bilbo says, I don't know half of well of you oh. half as well as I should like, right. but I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. <laughs> I right. think it's a compliment. But I think he's saying you deserve more than what I had to give. Like, so I can't right. like all of you like you deserve. Like, I should like you more. I think you're right. What's the answer? It's both. It's both. He's there, He's what do you say, 111 years is far too short a time to live with such Wonderful, excellent and admirable, and admirable yeah. hobbits. And... Uh, I think he had a gross there, if I recall, which was 144 hobbits, so. something like that, maybe. So, Because uh, that was yeah. a private party. Like, it wasn't the compliment side is that I, I know you half as well as I would like to that half. And I think, I can't work it out, man. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. With that, we should probably close some prayers. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to... Uh, we diverge. <laughs> um, we thank you so much for your spirit and your faith. We thank you for your love and the way that you love us, Lord. We ask that you bless all fellowship and the food that we might eat. And then he will prevent it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> 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 <laughs>